0: Namaste and uh, swagatam to everyone. Welcome to the latest edition of uh, Indic Chat. Uh, My name is Sahana Singh. I am an author uh, and a commentator on water issues and uh, Indic history. I'm based in Singapore. uh, And I'm a part of uh, uh, the Houston-based think tank Indian History Awareness and Research, IHAR. And of course, I'm a member of uh, Indic Book Club. So today, we are going to talk to uh, uh, Professor Pankaj Jain who is the Associate Professor uh, at um, uh, the University of North Texas in the Department of Religion and Philosophy. So he has recently uh, written a book called Dharma and Ecology of Hindu Communities. So uh, the book uh, deals with the Hindu communities which not only worship nature ritualistically, uh, but they also protect and preserve the environment as a way of life. So he has written about these uh, three of these communities in India and focused on the Bishnoi community as well. So uh, let's welcome Dr. Professor, uh, Dr. Pankajen. Uh, namaste okay. Ji. So I think uh, you would have been following the news in uh, India, yes. how uh, the Bishnoi community persisted for 20 years, mm-hmm. uh, got down to convicting a Bollywood actor. They did not get intimidated. Mm-hmm. Uh, they did not mm-hmm. get bribed, and they ensured right. that uh, he was convicted. Of course, he is out on bail now, right? But uh, but he was still pronounced guilty, thanks right. to the efforts of this community. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, you you are an expert in this topic. You have uh, written this book on uh, dharma and ecology of Hindu communities. So I, I'm sure the people would love to know more about mm-hmm. the Vishnois from you. Uh, so yes. uh, you have said that. They are the first environmental activists in the world.
1: Yes, they are. They should be called that way. Yes. Right.
0: So, uh, why do you say that? Uh, could you give a brief? Right. Experience? So, <clears throat> you
1: know, when I was uh, a PhD student at the University of Iowa, I took a course on religion and environmental ethics. In that, <laughs> when we talk about environmentalism, they mention about Chipko movement uh, in Uttarakhand and. Uh, uh, Vandana Shiva and uh, Ramachandra Guha, other scholars and activists. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Bishnoi community is, was mentioned in a very passing reference as if they were uh, they they really not well known that time when I started my PhD back in 2006 timeframe, 2004-2006. And I realized that Bishnois are na- known as a name, but not much is known about the community itself. And I being from Rajasthan and Vishnu community also in Rajasthan, I took it as my goal, my research topic, and I went to Rajasthan and researched that community thoroughly, textually, contextually, philologically, anthropologically, in every from every perspective, historical archival research, and I talked to a lot of Vishnuris and so on. So, <clears throat> so in, in that research I found, coming back to your question now, I found that uh, Chipko movement leaders themselves, uh, such as Sundaral Bahuguna, uh, who still lives in Dehradun, uh, Vandana Shiva uh, and others, have written that probably Chipko movement le- uh, activists, ladies, leaders, they took their inspiration from Vishnui people. Mm-hmm. Because there is there is very famous legend mm-hmm. of Amrita Devi. She should be called the first eco-feminist of the world because she was the first woman who led 363 men, women, and children, all of the community, who literally hugged the trees, their uh, trees, Khejali in Rajasthan, and they were killed by the soldiers. Okay. So they should be called as the first tree huggers of the world, first environmentalists of the world, uh, mm. and, and whatnot. That, and this is
0: the 15th century, right? Because.
1: That uh, happened in on 1730. That happened in 1730 when they literally uh-huh. hugged the trees. Oh, but that the
0: was the 15th century.
1: Right, the community itself started even earlier. Uh, It was founded by a guru uh, whose name is Guru uh, Jambeshwar. He was born in 1451. Mm -hmm. 1451, he was born, and uh, based on his uh, spiritual experiences, based on his omniscience that he received, that he experienced, he came out with 29 rules. Mm
0: -hmm. Not not
1: 29, Mm 29. That 29 became the uh, name of this community, Bishnoi. Bish means 20. Mm. Noi means 9. So Bishno- so it's not
0: the, I thought he, he was considered a,
1: a reincarnation of Vishnu. That too. That too. But uh, there is a little bit of a small controversy around the name itself. Some people still believe that Vishnoi may be synonymous with Vishnoi uh, mm. because they worship Vishnu. They do worship Vishnu as their main deity. But mm-hmm. the, if, I, if, you, if you really go into the uh, details of their own uh, texts and so on, um, they, they say that the Vishnui word really comes from the 29 rules that were given by their founder guru, Guru Jambeshwar.
0: Mm-hmm. And that
1: those 29 rules are the foundation of the entire community's lifestyle, their religion, their environmental practices, their hygienic practices, their theological uh, beliefs and so on. So, that twenty nine is the name for uh, the community itself, Vishnoi twenty nine. So that's the origin of their name.
0: And I think most of those uh, rules are based on protecting the environment.
1: Correct. So there are, are these. Uh, so that's my main thesis of my in my book, that mm-hmm. the, that uh, it's very easy for, especially I living and sitting in Dallas, Texas, America. It's very easy for us Americans. I guess if I speak as an American for a, for a, for a few minutes. Uh, that it's uh, easy to uh, quickly jump to the labels. Oh, that yeah. community is environmentalist. Or that rule is an environmental rule. Or that community is a spiritual community. Or oh. that community uh, takes morality very seriously. But the fact is, which is now, I'm, now I'm speaking as an Indian now, but the fact is that the Indian language or Indian word dharma is such a beautiful word that it has such a multidimensional uh, meanings and layers of significances. and meanings that the word dharma is applied, can be applied and is applied by Vishnui and other communities of India not southeast where it doesn't matter where they are. Different languages have the same word in all the Indian languages that the same word applies for uh, spiritual practices same word applies applies for environmental practices and the same word also applies for uh, morality and ethical practices. So dharma comes from the word uh, dhri in Sanskrit which means to sustain so the the 29 rules that we are coming back to Vishnu is now, the 29 rules that they live by, uh, they, there is an overlap. So the, some rules are about hygienic practices that we should take shower every day. You know, living in desert in 15th century, he came out. One of the rules says that you should take bath every day. That hygienic practices were highlighted back in 15th century when much of the much of the world, I think, uh, we didn't even we, uh, much of the world didn't even have. Uh, this practice of taking bath every day. And this Guru Jambeshwar, you know, didn't go to any university, didn't study any Sanskrit text, but he comes out with a rule that you should take bath every day. So the cleanliness, this hygiene was highlighted in one of the 29 rules. Other rules were do not cut green trees, do not eat meat, do not wear blue clothes, uh, and so on and so forth. So uh, oh, uh, drink only filtered water. So water you know, filter your water with a clothes. So right. it's idea about hygiene, idea about uh, uh, health, idea about spirituality, and of course, chant the name of Vishnu. He, he uh, asked his followers to chant the name of Vishnu. And so on, and so, so, so all these uh, are layers of um, the, as I said, hygiene and spirituality, ethical practices, environmental practices, all intertwined with each other in those 29 rules.
0: So, uh, if I may just interrupt you, I want to tell everybody that if you have any questions, uh, please type them in the text box at the, on the side. Keep typing your questions as they come to you. And after I finish chatting with Dr. Jain, I'm going to read them up. And uh, so, you don't, uh, we don't want uh, extraneous sounds coming in. So, we have muted you all. Please keep typing your questions.
1: Right. right.
0: So, you uh, mentioned they were not supposed to wear blue clothes. What was yes. that for?
1: Right. So I was curious too. So why? What's wrong with blue color? But the you know the fact is what I discovered in, in when I talked to Vishnu people that blue color apparently used to come from some bushes, that were that were to be you know taken out of uh, their roots. That's how you get blue color from some flowers or some uh, leaves. So oh. to avoid cutting any green uh, vegetation from the desert. He prohibited the blue color also, so that's one of the oh, one of the rules also was to not consume alcohol or uh, uh, opium, so that 's also right. one of the rules so there are all these rules which are totally right. the point in and, and right
0: the hygiene part might have been a little difficult because if there ah. is not enough water, yes and everybody is required to have a bath every day, That's exactly uh,
1: that's exactly uh, uh, yeah that's exactly right, and that 's why it's, it becomes even more interesting that he was obviously cognizant of the fact that there is no water right? there is very less water. But but Bishnois are should also be called as one of the earliest rainwater harvesters. So they very very meticulously preserve every drop of the water that that drops you know, in that part of Rajasthan. It's uh, about three fifths of the state. Rajasthan is uh, the largest state in India by area. Almost half of it is all desert. So the rain fall is very very less in that that part of part of India. So, but every drop of water is very meticulously harvested by Vishnuis. They have these kundis and kunds and tals and there are different words, sarovars and talas and so on, bavdis and so on. So they are really, really very curious, very uh, careful in the way they they preserve the, uh, every drop of water. So, which is why I
0: find them interesting because I write a lot on water issues.
1: Oh yeah, yes. Uh, so,
0: <laughs> and so they have actually conserved the water and made it available yeah. for them to be hygienic as well
1: exactly and and yes, and then um, there are uh, several documentaries on youtube you'll see that Vishnu women even though they, even when they fetch water from these these uh, sarovars and bodies and so on you'll see them actually filtering water using okay. their clothes and then they will you know walk for several miles and bring water okay. to their villages it's It's a daily part okay. of their routine. The water is most precious uh, in in that part of. In, uh, Part of, of, of so that. I was reading your
0: book and I found it interesting when you mentioned that many of these uh, leaders, I mean, these communities don't uh, like to be called uh, environmentalists or uh, ecological warriors. Right. It is it is a byproduct of your dharma, right? So when you ask right. them whether yes. they are environmentalists, they say no.
1: Correct. So, uh, so again, all these are you know, interesting English words, ecological warriors, <laughs> right. but in fact, uh, very interesting, that's amazing uh, perspective of so-called warriors even, that whenever they led some kind of a war for their ecological resources, the enemy who was a hunter or a poacher, in, in the most celebra- uh, most popular cases, it mm-hmm. was a change of heart for the enemy. So when mm-hmm. the, when 363 people die, Vishnu people die, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, in the Amruta Devi's uh, sacrifice in 1730, the king of Jodhpur has a change of heart, and immediately mm-hmm. after that incident, he he makes a proclamation that in Vishnu villages, not mm-hmm. a single tree will be will be cut. Wonderful. So this is the idea of war in which you know you, you don't win the war by killing anybody, not right. by dominating other uh, opponent. But by mm. changing heart, it's amazing non-violent way of leading this war. Right. That's exactly what happened, and and many other examples. We just right. uh, we still I think Vishnuvans are still known mostly for Salman Khan case, or right. by, or for the Amrita, Amrita Devi's case. But there are right. hundreds of examples in which many many times they have led these uh, so-called battles or so-called activism, even mm. in the modern times you know, in my research, I just kept searching in Times of India, Indian Express, all the major newspapers, English, Hindi, I kept Mm -hmm. on finding so many examples where Vishnu people are still at the forefront of laying down their lives to save a deer, to save a chinkara, to save a black buck, to save some trees, to save some birds, and so on and so so forth. So it's
0: wrong to think that Salman Khan was singled out. Some people think because he's a celebrity, Uh they pursued it more with him. That's not the case. That's,
1: That's absolutely not the case. There are hundreds of examples right from 1451 when Vish, uh, Guru Jambesh was, was was born and 1730 when Amrita Devi led that sacrifice. There are hundreds of other examples in which, oh, after Salman Khan's case, which is not, uh, this other case, which is not so popular, I'll share with you. You you may have already read in my book that Mahendra Singh Dhoni, the cricketer, was also, uh, you know, uh, was also uh, he apparently uh, attacked a horse in uh, at one of the events. He, he he sacrificed some animal. He did some animal sacrifice. So Bishnoi people were after Mahindra Singh Dhoni also. They requested him to apologize that you, why did you kill an animal? You cannot do that. And they wanted some kind of a some kind of a reproachment against Mahindra Singh Dhoni also. And there are other many other examples. there are other film shooting happening in Bishnoi villages where something similar happened. And, and Vishnuis were always at the front. So Salman Khan is not the only celebrity, this is not the only person. Vishnuis, mm. wherever they see middle of the night doesn't matter. they will rush to the spot, they will catch the hunter, they will catch the poacher, they will lay down, lay down there. Many times Vishnuis are always without any arms. Uh, they have no gun or, or anything, but the hunter or poacher always comes up with a, with a, with a gun. So many times these Vishnu people are killed. Hmm. So that's their story for hundreds of such cases. Uh, so they keep
0: patrolling their uh, extremity, the extreme, uh, uh, the ends of their territory all the time, yes, just yes. to see that nobody's poaching.
1: Yeah, but it, sometimes it happens in the middle of the night, right? Oh. So, so but as soon as they hear any this sound, this noise of of a gunshot, they will hmm. rush to the to the spot right. and capture the hunter or poacher. So right. that's the story for for, for hundreds of years. Right. Salman Khan is just one one small uh, example. Yeah, very small. Example.
0: So, did you uh, when you met them and talked to them? Did you actually talk about Salman Khan any time? What what did they? No,
1: him? Uh, yeah. Yes. Yes. So, uh, Salman Khan case happened in 1998. I
0: uh-huh. was already
1: in America there by then. I came to this country in 1996. But I was born in in this very very. Uh, I was born in a place called Pali, which is actually the same district where. Where this village is uh, very uh, on, the, on the border of Pali and Jodhpur, where this this incident actually happened. But when I went back for my research in 2006, I did ask uh, all many, the Bishnoi people, and everybody said yes. Of course, it happened. Salman Khan, of course, killed the deer, uh, the black buck, and the chinkara. There are a couple of incidents actually, not just one. As you also tweeted, right, that he okay. was, uh, <laughs> he went for the two hunting cases against chinkara, one uh, black buck, and so on. And so, yes, Vishnu people uh, definitely believe, in, and many have seen uh, that incidents, that actual spot. I, they took me to that actual spot where oh, they buried that that deer, that black buck. So black. they also took. I also went there. Uh, mm-hmm. That actual spot where Amrita Devi also, where Amrita Devi was killed. So I actually went to all these places and saw that Vishnuis have tremendous pride, tremendous uh, uh, confidence, and pride. Uh, uh, you know, they they hold these figures in high esteem, whoever sacrificed their lives to save these animals or, or birds or, or so on or trees, yes. Right. All these things you know, I've actually seen. So yes.
0: uh, I was, uh, when I was reading your book, I found that you pointed out to a dichotomy that on one hand you have the urban educated people who are, uh, who are uh, into climate uh, into environmentalism because of climate change, biodiversity and all those alarms raised by right. the media, right. yes. And on the other hand, you have the rural people who speak right. vernacular languages. Right. They don't know anything about climate change. Yes, They probably don't know what is a word called biodiversity.
1: Right, But right. they
0: have made it a way of life to be in harmony with nature. Right. So,
1: there, right. there is a dichotomy. Right. so, At least back in 2006, when I was working with Bishnoi people and I was going to these villages from Bikaner to Nagor to Jodhpur to Pali, all these places in the desert of Rajasthan, at mm. least that time, they didn't really care for these terms such as climate change or biodiversity or environmentalism or, or, or ecology or so on. It was just a matter of practicing their Guru's words. What Guru taught them, 29 rules. Uh, they still live by that, uh, that same 29 rules. And then there are 120 Shabdas, what they call as Shabdas. Shabdas are their sacred texts of the preachings and teachings of the Guru, Guru Jamdeshwar. So, if is 120 Shabdas and 29 rules. That's what they care about, and and it doesn't matter what modern science tells. So, even before these terms were coined, climate change or biodiversity or whatever, they were already doing these things as I, as we already just mentioned, right? Back in 15th century, 16th century, 17th century. So, they, so they it's matter of life for them. It's matter of dharma for them. It's matter of uh, living their life by the by the guru's teachings. Yes, but the urban people, urban Indians or uh, urban Americans. Uh, they are obviously very cognizant of the climate issues or environmental uh, environmental issues and so on. So they, uh, what I found uh, that uh, most global uh, uh, organizations or even or even spiritual networks such as uh, Sai Baba, Sati Sai Baba's network, or Art of Living, or or many many others who are more uh, uh, urbanized uh, in their approach. I saw that they are very conscious that, oh, this is our environmental project, this is our uh, health project, or this is our spiritual project. I see those clear categories in which they categorize their work. Whereas communities like Vishnu, it's all dharma. It's dharma to protect the trees, it's dharma to live by the Guru's uh, teachings, dharma to uh, filter the water. It's all about dharma. That's the way I uh, have uh, shown in one of the chapters in the book.
0: So you actually said that uh, uh, you know, infusing sacredness or shraddha into all the objects of nature, like mountains, rivers, right. uh, various uh, ob- objects in nature, helps uh-huh. to preserve it rather than the secular scientific outlook. You you felt that the secular scientific outlook is probably not inspiring people to take care of the environment as much yeah. as when it, the sacred part is reinforced. Yeah. is that is that what you said? Uh,
1: yeah. I think um, I think we have to question ourselves. What works best. respectful towards, let's say, cattle, or let's say, respectful towards our rivers or trees. I think it it works better if we have change of heart, as we just mentioned in that story of legend of Amrita Devi. When the hearts are changed, uh, it it comes as a byproduct. Environmentalism comes as a byproduct, which is which was a word I used in my second community research, also the Swadhyaya community. They use. They really prefer to use this word that environmentalism is just a byproduct. We are doing our bhakti, we are doing our devotion. Whatever happens to the environment is just a byproduct. That's not our focus. That that's not our mission. Let that, that be the discussion point for scientists and policymakers or whatever. But what really works from the ground is that when people are really inspired, inspired by this change of heart, that they are not doing for environment, but they are doing for the, the, their own. Uh, out of their own gratitude, out of their own reverence for their guru, reverence for their culture, reverence for divinity, reverence for Lord Vishnu, reverence for Mother Earth. When that happens, it really makes, I think, a a long-lasting, everlasting impact rather than a short-term goal to achieve, oh, we have to clean the river and then what happens after that, uh, you know, short-term focus is over. I think that's not as long-term and not as solid as uh, when when it happens out of change of heart.
0: No, actually it is there in the mainstream Hinduism as well. We, we are supposed to uh, take care of the Ganga, right? Yeah. So, so the Vishnus are actually doing, yeah. uh, putting into practice what we all believe in.
1: Yes, you know? exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. So, they, uh, do they
0: call themselves Hindus? Uh, they are the Hindu? to
1: practice their, uh, their uh, teachings and their values in, uh-huh. um, in some more seriousness, I guess. Right. So are they
0: aware of the Bhagavad Gita and the, the various Hindu texts? The, the they have heard the
1: names of these texts, but most of them are, uh, at, at least when I was roaming around in, back in 2006, it's already 12 years now. Uh, at that time, most of them were, uh, you know, not Sanskrit scholars. They cannot read the actual Bhagavad Gita I and mean, many Hindus in cities also they cannot read the Sanskrit texts of the Bhagavad Gita, but they have read the Guru's Shabdas that is very meticulously preserved by Rajasthani poets, Rajasthani uh, saints and poets and so on. So whatever they had learned was from the Guru's teachings and that's all in the archaic Rajasthani language, not even modern Rajasthani language. And so that, uh, th- those words were enough to continue that inspiration from generation to generation, generation to generation. And that's how they, they are practicing their, uh, their, their values. And that's what uh, is working out for them. Yeah. Right.
0: So uh, when I was reading your book, I could see that uh, there are, I think, there are two main threats uh-huh. uh, to the existence of the Bishnois. Mm-hmm. Uh, one is, uh, of course, development, so-called mm-hmm. modern development, which needs more land. You need right. to build highways. You need to more have you need more cities. Right. You need to move people out from the existing cities and have uh, uh, satellite right. cities. So you need more right. land. Right, 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 right. So that will always be a threat for Bishnois. Their land, right. and it will always be coveted by real estate sharks. Right. That's one. The other yes. uh, threat is uh, proselytization. I could, uh, I can see mm. that when I went to the Joshua Project website, yeah. uh, Joshua Project, as most many people know, keeps a database of all the ethnic communities in the world which need right. to be converted, which they want to bring into the fold yes. of Christianity. Yes. and they, uh, I could see that they have said that there are some nine hundred thousand uh, Vishnois in India, and they have put them all in the, where they are on the map. Yeah. So there is a threat from the missionaries. Right. So right. they convert they convert to Christianity. There's a possibility they will lose that reverence for right nature. They yes. they'll definitely. I mean, there's not just a possibility, but they'll lose right. that reverence for nature. Yes. So, do you think these are the two main threats, or there are more?
1: No, these are, I think, the two main threats. Yes, you're uh, you're right about that. Uh, in fact, there is another community called Sora tribe in Andhra Pradesh, South India. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there is a fascinating documentary. Uh, For Sora tribe, if you search on YouTube or Vimeo.com, you can see that when they were practicing their indigenous practices and beliefs, they were actually uh, 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 very—they were actually uh, taking care of their natural resources very, very carefully. But as they converted to Christianity, their connection to the nature actually. progress in the last 12 years, uh, if I go back and uh, I think we can, we can check that again. Uh, and then the other side other th- you mentioned, yes, the modernity, the, the roads, the railway tracks and so on, is also, uh, I think, pushing uh, communities such as is, uh, you know far and far away to save their, their natural resources, whatever is left. But one good thing, uh, I guess, uh, if if I can share, that uh, the, the pressure of population, is not actually against the nature uh, if uh, in my research again i compared all the deserts of the world and what i found and i talked to several geographers and demographers also and they confirmed uh, with my uh, uh, with my observation that the thar desert al- always had the largest number of human beings and animals and birds and trees even though uh, so even with more humans at the thar desert the level of flora and fauna has always been at the highest compared to the other thar, other deserts of the world in Egypt or, or elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Thar Desert has always kept this fine balance of humans and flora, fauna, for some reasons such as Bishnois. So uh, there is a Western theory of ecology which is called as deep ecology. In mm-hmm. deep ecology, humans are treated like villains. That humans should be kept out of the forests. Humans, humans should be kept out of the of oceans and rivers because humans are the ones who are polluting all these natural resources. But against that theory, a scholar such as Ramachandra Guha has have said that humans—you uh, cannot remove humans from places like India, where you know such a small land, small pieces of land, and humans are so overcrowded in land such as even thar desert. So it, it may, humans may not be necessarily enemies of the nature but humans and flora fauna have coexisted for centuries in such places such as thar desert but where ramchandra guha also uh, i disagree with guha also because guha says uh, to guha everything is coming out of what he terms, terms as social ecology uh, where he totally discards the role of culture and religion and spirituality where i disagree with him is that i say that communities such as bishnois and sauras are not about social ecologists they are not social ecologists they are dharmic ecologists because their inspiration is from the spiritual traditions, as taught by their gurus, such as Atmabale in the case of Swadhyaya, or uh, Guru Jambeshwar in the case of Vishnuis. So instead of calling it deep ecology, what Westerners call, or call it call it social ecology, what Ramchandra Guha calls, I call it Dharmic ecology, because Dharma is such an inter, intertwined term which overlaps ecology and morality and religion all into. This ratio of humans at a, at a at a desert, and yet you see this thriving flora and fauna because of communities such as Bishnois and Jains also, who are you know who take pride in nonviolence, who will not hurt even a ant, even a small ant or a small bee. And there are several other community. There are several other communities that nobody has researched. There is a village in also not too far from where Bishnois live, where Jains have been feeding cranes, Siberian cranes, for Ooh. centuries. And birds are more intelligent, I guess, in some ways than humans. So birds know where they are totally, you know, they will never be hurt. So thousands of these birds come, you know, in, in, in a very nice discipline. They will come, make sure to come to those villages, take their food and go back to Siberia. That so not been,
0: just a sanctuary, it's not just sanctuaries.
1: It's not a sanctuary. It's, it's not a government sanctuary. It's just a village. I think it's called as uh, Mechan or some Mechan village. I have to go myself. I have not been <laughs> to that village. It's also in Jodhpur district in in Rajasthan in, in the desert region, and so the thousands of, of those birds go to that that part of desert and they go because they know that people are totally non-violent. There's no violence against them, and there's there's nobody, no hunter, no poacher. There are such communities, and because again because of I think the dharma which uh, takes care of the ethical values that you know violence is bad. Dharma, which says that you don't hurt others because you will accrue negative karma; it will be hurtful for your own soul. Right. So there is a spiritual angle, there is ethical angle, and in turn, as a byproduct, environmental angle is automatically served. You don't have to tell Vishnuis and Jains living in those villages that you have to be, you have to take care of your climate or you have to take care of biodiversity. There is no worldwide life fund, uh, you know, funding any NGOs there you go and, you know, save these uh, environmental resources. It all happens as a byproduct.
0: So my concern is the next generation, the younger generation, because when yeah. they go to schools, I don't know which schools they're going to. These Vishnuay uh, community members, their children, what kind of schools are they going to?
1: Yeah, no, that's a, that's an interesting angle also, because when I was there in, in that small place, Pali, I went to Hindi medium school and I uh, you know, learnt in a very traditional manner, but now I see, I go back. My uh, next generations are going to mostly yeah. you know missionary-run English-medium schools, where uh, I'm. I hope they are still incorporating the communities such as Vishnois. Uh, I also found out in my research that at least in the Rajasthan Board School textbooks, Vishnoi community are mentioned. Vishnoi people are mentioned as. The protectors of the environment, at least in that reference, they are mentioned in, in a passing reference. But I hope that in uh, Hindi
0: medium schools or English medium
1: now. Uh, uh, that's Rajasthan mostly Hindi medium schools. Rajasthan board schools uh, are mostly Hindi medium schools. But if it is uh, Central board schools or uh, or other schools, uh, if English medium schools, I'm not sure. I hope they are also including these communities such as Vishnois. Uh, at least out of the awareness of the climate change and environmentalism now. I hope Bishnois are also find are again becoming sort of these poster bo- boys for environmental environmental reasons. Yeah. So hopefully they will be still they are still remembered by they are definitely remembered by they're definitely uh, sought after community when uh, anybody wants to make a documentary on you know these noble noble <laughs> village people that Bishnois are people all over from the world from Europe and from America they rush to uh-huh. these Bishnoi villages and make do- beautiful documentaries on. Right. So there
0: is international recognition.
1: Yes. Uh, so uh, back in 2006 when I was searching for internet references for Vishnuis, I found only 6,000 references for Vishnuis on the internet. Now today I went back again because, I, uh, because uh, we were going to chat about Vishnuis after such a long uh, uh, time. I found 200,000 references to Bishnoi villages. So awareness is definitely increasing about Vishnuis, which is a good news. And now, hopefully that will inspire more uh, youngsters, more next generations to you know, take Vishnui seriously, not just because they caught Salman Khan, but because Vishnui's have been at the forefront for saving uh, not just uh, deer, not just uh, blackbuck or chinkara, but also trees, also birds. Uh, you know, the state bird of Rajasthan is, bu- uh, is this, uh, what is called a great bird, bird Yes.
0: Uh,
1: Shutramurgh. Uh-huh. Right. So, so those birds were also because of Vishnus, uh they were, they are saved. Otherwise, you know, hunters have uh, would have already wiped them off from from Rajasthan. Another Any particular
0: example, reason why they are special for, to the Bishnois? Vish- the bustard?
1: No, all, all really, all life is sacred. Like as okay. you said, Hindu uh, idea is that, or in Jain idea and Buddhist idea, that all life is sacred, right? Because of this interconnection, because divinity exists in every particle of the universe. That Brahman is. In every particle of the universe, that Hinduism says, Jainism yeah. says that there is life in even in the in earth and water and air and fire, even Jainism says that. Buddhism says that Buddha nature exists in every particle of the universe. So these traditions have long, for thousands of years, already said that everything is divine. But Vishnu, because of their guru and because they are living in such a fragile ecosystem, they probably took it more seriously. And they made sure that if they save their kejuli trees, the the root, uh, the leaves and trunks, and the you know, the entire tree is supporting the local ecosystem of the desert. But they took it more seriously, and that's how they they preserved their, uh, their their ecology for all these centuries. Right.
0: Let's take a few questions now, and then maybe uh, we can continue. Yes. So, a question from Bipul. Yes. I think you are able, also able to read it. Yes. Jainism yes. talks about filtered water since for long, uh, not killing plants. So what is new about Vishnu is that that too so much later. Also, everyday bath is generally a part of Hindu practices. It did not start with Vishnu. Right. Water conservation is a Rajasthani thing. Nothing Vishnu about it in my opinion. So right. curious, why would you attribute these things to them? And of course, dying for trees is something unique, so not disputing that.
1: Right, right. Yeah, he he's right. Uh, it's nothing unique about Vishnu, as I said, but it's, what is unique is that, that uh, those 29 rules Guru will, Guru Jambeeshwar will make sure that one rule explicitly says that you must consume water only after filtering it. That making it very explicit, and that too in that region of desert where water is so precious uh, that bath is is highlighted. That you must take bath every day. That making it a, making it making it a explicit rule. I think is is pretty unique to Vishnu culture. That's what I said. That's all I said. But of course, I know that uh, you know my grandmother. I being a Jain and my grandmother would of course, uh, you know, filtering water is very common in, in Jain tradition also so of course that's not unique to Vishnu. It's so unique. it's not cited
0: as a rule uh, maybe yeah. uh, as mm-hmm. much as it is in Vishnu. There is yes. a general understanding in Hinduism that we have to be clean. Right. But I think right. here they made it very
1: explicit. They made it a rule out of 29 rules. One rule is to take filtered water. Second rule is to uh, take bath every day. That's very unique. That's pretty interesting for, for, uh, for a region where the water is so precious. Right right,
0: uh, and then there's a question on this uh, twenty nine what is the significance
1: uh,
0: can you explain the origin Beasts now or twenty nine what is the significance? Of course, it means that twenty nine rules, yeah, but why did they choose twenty nine maybe he, that is his question I think
1: mean
0: it could have been twenty:
1: <laughs> it could have been. he just covered the you know whatever he wanted to teach in those twenty nine formulas or twenty nine sutras if it if he was a sanskrit scholar he probably he would have called it 29 sutras but 29 rules is what he called so it became 29 the uh, nothing uh, but the 29 number became significant after those rules so in some literature i found that bishnois are called as 29ers because of these 29 rules so that's just uh, just a number but that, that those 29 rules cover everything from hygiene to health to spirituality to, to ecology. Uh,
0: does it talk about uh, marrying uh, another Vishnui like you know they have to marry within the community is that also practiced?
1: Yes so uh, 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 so we have to remember that Vishnoi community when it was formed Guru Jambeshwar was accepting new people to join Vishnui community but after he passed away after the next generation Vishnui became pretty much pretty much kind of a Jati so you are born into being a Vishnui. But when he was alive, he was still accepting you know, local jats, local Rajputs, local communities to come and become Vishnuis, become his followers. Whoever was his follower became a Vishnui. Right. So that time, uh, uh, I think the same Hindu style marriages were happening. And then after that, uh, after he passed away, Vishnui became a you know, concrete, tangible community, then uh, they have this ritual of water ceremony. So after a a kid is born, they give a sacred water, give the sacred water to the child, so you become a Vishnu. It's kind of a uh, something like Janeu, taking a Janeu for a Brahmin child in, in Hindu community, you become a you know more formal Brahmin after, after that janeu ceremony. Similarly, there is this Pal ceremony, Pal meaning water. So after that Pal ceremony, you become a formal Vishnu. That kind of a similar ceremony hap, uh, exists for every uh, sanskar. So for wedding ceremony also there is a unique ceremony for wedding. I didn't really experience I didn't observe a wedding uh, ceremony in Vishnu community but I, I know that there are some traditions which, which are a bit different. So for example uh, we talked about birth ceremony and this pal ceremony for a child wedding ceremony. For death also they have, they have a little bit different. They don't really cremate the dead bodies. They bury the dead bodies in Vishnu community. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the, the idea is that the dead body should go back to the five elements of the nature without destroying more trees, more uh, wooden uh, elements from the nature, just returning the dead body to the to the land, to the soil.
0: So do they bury, but there's no tomb or anything? They just, uh, they just bury, right? There's no, nothing to mark the place where they bury, right?
1: Nothing to mark, but for their guru, Guru Jambeshwar, there is a huge, almost a tomb like a structure where I actually went. It's uh, in Mukam, the sacred place where he attained his Samadhi. So there is a, this very wide, huge structure. Uh, uh, the place is Samrathal where he attained his, his uh, enlightenment. That's where uh, you see this almost like a tomb kind of structure where every year uh, all Vishnu is gathered there and there a lot of uh, festivals, ceremonies kind of things happen. At that so
0: I don't know, there's somebody called Jagat Guru Das who is saying uh, who asked whether they bury their dead or throw into Ganges. I don't know about no, throwing into buried. Ganges. I don't think no uh, that there, is right? allowed in any community. No. Right. Throwing a body into Ganges is not the way, I'm sure. Anywhere. No, they
1: bury their dead is what I found. They
0: bury and, uh,
1: mm-hmm.
0: So I don't know what where he said. It's mentioned by W. Crook. W. Crook mm-hmm. says that...
1: <laughs> I am not aware of that. Uh, w. <laughs> okay. Crook or throwing into Ganges. All I am aware of is that they bury their dead bodies. Yes. Right.
0: So for the Hindus also from what I know, you're uh-huh. not actually uh, required to. Uh, uh, you're not. You're not supposed to actually pollute rivers. Correct. So correct. you know mm-hmm. it's the, the what they are doing today, putting mm-hmm. all kinds of things into the rivers, is not really mentioned in any of the uh, correct. texts. Texts that not pollute Most yes. of the texts that I have referred to.
1: Right. 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 Yeah. Yeah.
0: So a question from Indy Strings who says, "How can we identify Bishnoi people? Uh, do you mean physically?" Uh, do they look different physically?
1: Uh, no. <laughs> look, they, I mean, do they
0: dress differently?
1: Or no. Uh, but many of the Vishnois have their last name or surname as Vishnoi. So okay. one of my most uh, you know most helpful Vishnois, uh, he lives in he is shuttles between Dubai and in India, uh, Rajendra Vishnoi, for example. So his his last name is Vishnoi. His surname is Vishnoi. Uh, then there is there are other, uh, many many Vishnois who do not have surname or last name as Vishnois. But yet they are part of the Vishnu community. That also happens. But most of the Vishnuis now have adopted their surname itself or last name. In in America we call it last name. In India we say surname. Vishnu uh, itself is their last name. So you can easily identify. There are some MPs in India who are Vishnuis. There are some ministers in Rajasthan government who are Vishnuis, uh, and so on. So right. that is one way to identify Vishnu easily. Yeah.
0: Right. So have I missed any question? Uh, any more questions, people? Uh, uh, I don't see so uh, so there's one interesting term uh, 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 observation that you made in your book where you said that mm-hmm. uh, that uh, you know uh, well, you said that uh, the late 20th century christian thinkers had mm-hmm. to reinterpret yeah. their scriptures in order to make it uh, make them eco friendly whereas yeah. for us uh, right, right, for right. the for the uh, hindus they don't need to do that it's already yes. there in your uh, scriptures right, right, right. right? Yeah.
1: yeah because for uh, for Christianity, the, the tension was that what is sacred? Is the creator sacred or creation sacred? There's still this tension. So uh, many Christians, Christian theologians have started saying that uh, 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 that the to, to be a good steward is to be a good Christian because creation came out of the creator. So if we take care of the creation, we are fulfilling the mission of the creator uh, and then there are some other tension within the genesis itself in the in the old testament where they say that the the creation exists for dominion by humans now dominion could be could be interpreted as domination or abuse or exploitation by humans right are humans right. supposed to exploit and dominate the other natural resources flora and fauna but then other uh, recent uh, theologians have interpreted dominion as saying that just taking care of the nature, dominion does not mean domination or exploitation, but just be friendly steward of the nature. So that those kind of tensions exist in Christianity, but for Hinduism, I think uh, we, if we go back to all the way from uh, from East all the way to Indus Valley civilization, we know that you know water was sacred. Uh, you're the water expert. You know that water was sacred even for Indus Valley people. They had this great bath in Mohenjo Daro, where oh, to take that sacred dip in the water was part of the sacred lives for people in, in Mohenjo-daro. Then almost every river, not just Ganga, but every river in India uh, is treated like mother and that taking water, uh, taking that sacred dip in, in every any, any river is considered very holy, very sacred, very reverential towards water. We know that if so many animals, not just cow, cow has become some kind of a stereotype about Hinduism. But we know that many temples, many gods and goddesses have all these different kinds of species, animals and birds and even reptiles who are part of the sacred pantheon of Hindu gods and goddesses. So to say that, uh, uh, to say that Hindu culture treats almost all uh, uh, animals, birds, even reptiles as sacred is, is nothing exaggeration. We see that all the way from Indus Valley to our pantheon of gods and goddesses. Vishnu community—it's—it's it's not a radical reinterpretation of our tradition. It's just going back to the tradition and taking it more seriously. I think that's what right. is there, and that's what Vishnu are doing.
0: Right. So I'm—I'm I'm sure there are many other communities in India like the is, right? Uh, so there might be some in the south. There might be
1: yes, yes, the yes.
0: west. Uh, so, but you chose to study only the
1: a few right. communities. There are many more actually, and. uh, uh so I, I mentioned Vishnu, I mentioned Swadhyais in my book. I mentioned Bhils in my book. I just mentioned the, that village, uh, Mechan where um, crane are, cranes are fed, thousands of cranes are fed by jains in Rajasthan. Mm-hmm. Now every national park that we know in India, wherever lion and t- tiger and lions are, are, are uh, protected by the government, but that protection is happening not just because of the government. Almost every national forest also has some indigenous tribes what we call as scheduled tribes, but these tribes have been living with these tigers and lions for thousands of years. And because of, again, because of this very delicate balance that they have preserved with their flora and fauna, that these, uh, these species have survived for thousands of years, even with this huge population pressure, because of these indigenous uh, people in these forests, these uh, flora and fauna have been surviving. So, somebody has to go back to these communities and, and do more research. How is it possible that in the Gir forest, for example, there, is a, there are communities that live inside the Gir forest where lions are roaming around freely and these humans are also living, living with these lions or, or on the fringes of, of those forests? So, mm-hmm. not much research has been done. Research has been done in, in about these communities. So, in Arunachal Pradesh, for example, there are communities and communities. For living with these uh, with these uh, species in these dense forests, nobody has gone into those forests. There are many more communities in Himalayas and yeah. and Leh uh, Ladakh. So, oh, so you have a,
0: like you're not worried that these are all becoming lesser. I mean, I thought so, that sacred groves are all have been poached upon and there's hardly definitely there's a
1: concern. concern. Definitely, there uh, we are. Uh, you know, we are uh, always losing them. But because of these indigenous tribes, because of these indigenous people, uh, as they you know struggle to protect their, their lands. In turn, they're also protecting their animal, their, you know, uh, flora and fauna of those, those communities, those lands. So uh, we need to be yeah, careful. Government has to not blindly copy what has happened in America or Europe. You know, right. if big malls and big uh, shopping malls and big highways are the law of the land for America. That doesn't mean that India should blindly copy America. You know, in America, I'm sure you already, most of you already know that in America on, on the highway, humans are totally prohibited. Humans cannot even enter the highways. and, and on, So that doesn't mean that Indian highways have to follow blindly what American highways do. On Indian highways, uh, thankfully, every highway that I went in last 10 years, you know, there are signs laid down there. You know, This is a time to cross elephants. Humans have no monopoly on highways. This is a time, in Rishikesh, I saw those huge signs. Stop your car. If you see an elephant, let the elephant cross your highway first. Humans are last. Elephants are first. That made my <laughs> my trip successful. Uh, many highways we have seen not just cattle, but uh, you know you can see every kind of species: monkeys and camels, caravans, caravans, caravans of camels and sheep and and and, uh, and every animal on on the highways. So that is the beauty of that. Our tradition, our people, they still are patient enough. To stop and let the camels pass the highways, let the elephants pass. You know, humans have no monopoly on any highway in India, which is great. That's that's the way it has to be.
0: I think over there they are, they are thinking of corridors, right? Uh, to have corridors through by which animals can cross, and yes, which will be but, some uh, of them are elevated and all that. That's what I think I read about.
1: Yeah, but uh, <laughs> it's a far cry. You know, many state governments here in America are not too bad. mouth. my own country. I'm a citizen of America, but the, it's a bitter reality of America that uh, the deer, uh, for the most part, are treated uh, like nuisance, that they create a lot of traffic hazard. So many state governments actually encourage hunting of deer. Mm. Now, in India, they are already endangered species. You know, Salman Khan was in jail just because he did that. But here it is encouraged by the government uh, because they are kind of nuisance. They are seen as nuisance, uh, even though the land is almost three times more in this country than India. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, people are less than one third of the population of India, and yet there is this concern of of this nuisance. Imagine uh, what happens on the highways of India. You know, you have to tolerate not just tolerate, but you have to have patience to let animals take their turn and then let humans take their turn. So it's a very different cultural value system, and thankfully, hopefully, it will be still preserved for the, by the next generations. Right.
0: In so there's one more question here from Chendil Kumar. And he says, when I visited one of the Vishnois, I came to know they are legally allowed to cultivate opium, which they can use for medical purposes. Could you throw some light on this? I was even offered a whiff when I was there.
1: <laughs> yes, that, that is true. That is true. I'm not going to, you know, uh, sugarcoat this, but, you know, not, no community in the world can follow all their gurus teaching 100% of the time, 100% in the essence, in the letter or spirit. Opium is just just one, I guess. Um, uh, what what should vice. I say? Uh, one vice. An excuse, yeah, yeah. So they are uh, fond of having some fun with opium. So that that goes on in some in at, at some occasions in Bishnoi life. You can see again on YouTube uh, documentaries that 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 does happen. Uh, but uh, so yeah, that's that's part of their life also. Yeah. Well,
0: like in Holi, we are we they have yeah. uh, this thing right. Uh, Bhang. Yes
1: yes so that that uh, does happen yes yeah. but the guru just guru did mention in those, one of those 29 rules that opium was prohibited by the guru guru jambeshwar the founder but uh, the you know that's why we when we do research it's not just enough to study a community textually we need to go and meet the community people also interview the people do the field work do actually go into the village and then you see that there is of course there is always this mismatch between the letter and the and the practice, the the, the teaching and the practice. So there's just right. yeah, one difference definitely there. Right. I
0: think we have answered, you have answered all the questions. Right. So I think probably it's a good time to end. But it has been extremely enlightening uh, reading your book and listening to you today. You have highlighted, I, know, I don't know if you're the first one who has actually examined these communities from the Indic lenses probably are the first
1: one. Yeah, from Indic lens or Western lens, no scholarly book on any, any book on culture or ecology. As mm-hmm. I said, they had just one word. Yes, there is some community called Vishnu, but nobody really actually went to those villages. Nobody translated their entire sacred text into English. So yeah. my book has done that. I have done that in my book. Uh, right. In the appendix, you can see that the entire 120 Shabdas, the statements by the Guru are translated into English. And the entire history is traced. All the examples of their environmental activism, all the way from the 15th, 16th century, all the way until now, are all mentioned in the book. And okay. the book is available in India on Amazon.in for just 800 rupees. It's like 10 dollars, 12 dollars, uh, not expensive. Uh, I invite everybody to get that book and uh, you know and uh, take this inspiration from Bishnuys and Swadhyays and Beals and share that wisdom uh, with your next generation, with the present generations, and. We all need yes. to do our part to save our whatever is left, whatever trees and flora, fauna that is left in India. We need to take very active role and, and, and not just conduct these chat sessions, but do something on the ground like you are doing, Sahanaji, and many others are doing, many of us are doing. We need to continue to spread this uh, this awareness and take care of our environment. I think. And Thank constantly. you
0: very much. And I'd like to uh, call upon everybody to buy this book, read it. It's really worth it. You will come to know some things which you probably don't know about how the communities in India, the rural communities in India are way more enlightened than we are uh, in, the, in the cities. So uh, please read the book and uh, write your reviews uh, in various publications. Thank you, Dr. Jain. It is, uh, you. It's it's very really late night for you. Thanks for joining us in the chat. Thank and Thank thanks to Indic Academy. Thanks yeah. to all the people who logged in.
1: Thank you, everybody. Thank you.
0: Namaste again.